0: You're listening You're listening You're listening You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more
1: If you want to learn about the music industry And you don't know where to go Tune into to WP88.7 Brave New Radio We got managers, producers, record labels concert promoters galore You never know Wednesday
0: at 8 p.m.
1: So afraid of losing hope. Come on now, tell me, tell me where the.
0: Professor David Kirkfield, along with Dr. Esteban. Yeah, Marconi, yeah. I guess. Yes, it's good to have Dr. Esteban Marconi here. Choking. Huh? I was choking. Oh, good. Uh, choking for us. Somebody call Heimlich. Um, we have a great guest today, Carl Guthrie, music business attorney. But before we do so, we want to give thanks. Should we give thanks, Dr. Esteban? Yes. We want to give thanks to the folks at Bandineboro Inc. and White Hat Management, with artists like Dave Matthews, readers, Down, St. Vincent, Kiss, and Zach Brown. There's only one place for you to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And, and we want to give thanks to Christine. Boy. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped people all around the world manage their investments. Plan after the retirement when somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your financial future. You want to go to the Forefront Group, F-O-U-R, Forefront Group, and go to Christine.Vay at Forefront.com. Coming up very soon, the 7th seventh, seventh edition oil. of Manage, seventh edition Command, coming very soon. The
2: last oil off for savings.
0: I messed that up. Leave the last And oil.
2: actually, it's not Christine Vay, it's Christine at... Forefront. So the whole email is wrong. Her email is Christine at forefront.com. Okay, so a lot's been happening legally.
0: All right, so here we are with Carl Guthrie, music business attorney,
2: Dr. Esteban. And we've known Carl for 30 years. I was going to say 20, but I probably would say 30 years.
3: Yeah, 30 is more like 30 plus is more like it. <laughs> yeah,
2: he's been an adjunct here. And uh he's an adjunct, of course, in other places as well. Are you still at Seton Hall Law School?
3: Seton Hall Law School, yes. Really? Same period of time, thirty plus years.
2: Ah, all right. No. Oh. so has there been any changes in the industry legally? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Imagine getting a stupid question like that. It would well make. no,
3: actually, uh when I when I do deals now with some of the younger attorneys. And the, the names of some of the my colleagues have been around for that, that period of time, mm-hmm. 20, 25 to 30 years. A lot of those, a lot are retiring yeah. or moving into other areas uh, or both mm-hmm. uh, or semi-retired. So I guess that's uh, a trend. And, um, you know, the industry has gone through so many changes in technologically and uh, you know, on the business side that I think after the attorneys have been around for a while, uh, and got very comfortable with the traditional mode of doing business. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than go through a major change in their practice, they they just said it's time it's time to uh, retire,
2: cash it in, yeah,
3: cash it in, yes, and right. pursue other interests, yeah.
2: All right. So Dave and I have uh, heard that the 360 deal isn't as popular as it was five ten years ago. You're finding that true. <laughs>
3: Yeah, the 360 deal, um, there was a point when uh, it was resisted in the very beginning. And then there was a point when they felt it was a so-called money grab uh, by the record labels. And then there there came a point where companies started monetizing the 360 deals, even paying advances to artists for uh, 360s or holding an option to pay in advance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it, it started to make more sense. And then other thing the company started doing was taking artists into areas that they hadn't been in, uh, actually becoming active, active in that area of um, developing 360 other opportunities, non-record opportunities for the artists. And so that was uh, that was a win win. Mm-hmm. However, as time has gone on, as you know, companies have downsized quite a bit. They really don't have the staff. The artist development has become a dinosaur concept developing artists that's basically on management and the artists themselves. And so, uh, the three, and the other thing is that the the income from the record sources has dwindled, um, except on the, uh, the streaming side. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately the artists don't make much on the streaming side. So the real cash cow now in the industry has been, uh, pre pandemic and probably post pandemic live performances. Um, And so to allow a company to cash in on with the three sixty deals on live performance income, which is which was the big one, merchandising, sponsorships and so forth, without any corresponding increase in record income uh coming to the artists, it did it didn't it didn't add up. It didn't it didn't measure out and the the artists and the representatives started to resist those three sixty deals. Um And the companies, once again, weren't, weren't doing as much to justify getting a share, becoming a partner. Um, if you think about it, a 360 deal with. Um, um, Cross the board sharing of income with the artists is equivalent to a management deal where the manager shares income across the board with the artist and. Uh, it's easier to justify with a manager who's actively developing income streams and developing the artist's capabilities and sharing in the income. The record company couldn't continue to justify that. So, you know, that, that area has um, become troublesome and problematic. And at one time, rec companies were trying to get as much as 50% of um, the 360 income. And now what we see is not only has a 360 concept uh, fallen to disfavor, uh, the percentages have come way down for example a live performance a uh, company could could ask for nowadays maybe 10% as opposed to 50 or 30 or 25 or a management commission of 20 uh, more like 5 to 10 would probably be in the right area and then the comp- then the artist representatives may say well in addition to that uh, invest in our in our, our live show give us tour support And we'll give you that that 10%. So, yeah, it's become a complicated area. And and the concept in general of 360 has fallen into disfavor. I'd say that's fair to say in 2021. Um,
2: We've also heard to try to be a money grab that, uh, and it has to do, I'm sure, with the copyright law, that uh, several labels are trying to do licensing deals in perpetuity for material. So that there can be no copyright reverse reversal
3: on that. Yeah, there, there, there's there's movement to try to in that uh, that termination of copyright um, reversion, which was which was quietly put into the act of uh, copyright act as January seventy eight, January first seventy eight, but didn't become into effect until thirty five years later. Mm-hmm. But that was. Uh, 2013 now it's been in effect for a while and companies are getting these these termination letters and looking at the loss of um, important catalogs and copyrights and uh, they're pushing back now at Congress saying this is this is um, inappropriate we made deals that, uh the Constitution provides individuals with the freedom to contract how can you come in and disrupt contracts across the board. And then caused such a change of um, and a loss of um, of rights and income that publishers and com- uh, publishing company affiliates with the record labels had acquired for years. So this is this is another very sore area. We, we may see some movement by Congress. We see the courts even showing a reluctance to to fully enforce that uh, termination law. There, there's so many. Um, Nuances now that are it involved. It's very difficult w- when it becomes a litigated matter to actually realize your catalog and acquire your cat, reacquire your catalog. Very difficult now, you know, in a very specialized area. Many lawyers can't begin to uh, get deeply involved in that because it's become so specialized.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and the courts are showing reluctance to just, uh, in one fell swoop, give artists uh, or writers rather their. Their songs back,
2: mm-hmm.
3: so yeah, we'll, we have to watch that carefully. We're gonna we have to watch in Congress what happens with the lobbying that's going on now to change that uh, copyright reversion and termination right, and uh, mm-hmm. and we have to look at the courts too because the courts are uh, putting the brakes on um, that. For example, an artist that wants to get a copyright back, first thing they have to they have to establish that they have controlling interest in the copyright so if they've got uh, a third uh, they, they have a third of the copyright that's not they have to join with another co-writer uh, to get over 50% to to make a legitimate claim um, and the, the the nuances like that uh, the, the, the many of the art the representatives and the uh, writers themselves are unaware of also the uh, the issue of uh, work for hire if a copyright has been transferred as a work for hire well there is no uh there is no termination right yeah so that's a real hole in that termination right law copyright termination If if there's a work for hire if the if the publisher or the party that attained the rights can show a work for hire transfer that's the end of the ball game uh, can't There will be no termination. So there are a lot of nuances now. It's not a straightforward uh, make a claim to terminate a copyright and you get your copyright back. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, if you do put in a claim, uh, it has to be perfected and totally precise with respect to your claims, uh, the on- the, your ownership rights, and so forth. Uh, it's kind of like perfecting a chain of title to a property. And if there's one thing wrong in there, you, you can lose it. And you've got to give a two-year notice. Companies were initially responding to those two-year year notices that they got to re, re, uh, cause the copyrights to revert or, or terminate. Um, and they, they were responding quickly and um, defiantly. And now there's a new strategy amongst companies, seemingly, uh, which is to get the two-year notice and make note of the date that uh the notice is um to go into effect. Wait till the last day or the last week, and then set a notice out saying, your notice is defective. Huh? And uh so we won't comply with it. Uh or 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 we're going to um uh challenge it in court. And that's really dangerous because if your notice is defective in any way, shape or form, and they wait till the last day, you don't get a second bite of the apple. You had a two-year uh-huh. notice period and chances are your time is run because it's uh-huh. a, just a window, a limited window that you have, five-year window with a two-year notice in front, which cuts that window down from five to, to three because your notice, that two-year your notice has to be at before that third year runs. Mm-hmm. Um and then that's the five-year window. And if it's defective and the company waits to the last minute and says, well, sorry, uh, that notice is defective and we won't honor it, you might be out of luck.
0: Yeah, right.
3: So, yeah, it's 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 fairly complicated and nuanced
0: mm-hmm. these days. You know? Doesn't the company th- – who has to prove that that notice was defective, though? You can't just say – it becomes a he said, she said. If, if I just say, no, it was defective, forget it. You know, you would think that would. Well, the thing is, the company
3: the company can say uh, sue us. It's effective, and that's the position we're going to take. And you go, and they can. Now, if you want to file a lawsuit, that becomes another issue. Which I want to bring up a point on that: bringing lawsuits with respect to copyright infringement and so forth, or matters. Um, I'm I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, at the end of last year, uh, they passed the law, which is going to go into effect this year. Creating a small claims copyright court. Uh, it's called the Case Act. Um, yeah. It's, so, so that copyrights now can be, uh, infringement claims, small scale infringement claims or, or matters relating to copyrights can be brought before a three judge panel. Uh, small claims. Uh, the, the, if the, For infringements, if there's uh, if you can prove actual damage, you can get up to thirty thousand in a small claims court, or if it's a statutory damages, up to fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. And if you can prove bad faith, you can get uh, even five up to five thousand for attorneys' fees reimbursement. So uh, that this is going to be very interesting to see how a small claims copyright infringement case uh, a mm-hmm. court works. Wow. Uh, but so this is something we we we're going to watch very carefully somewhat of an experiment, too. I think there's one I would consider the flaw in that uh, small claims copyright infringement court. Uh, They're saying that the defendant who's brought uh, before the court with a claim can opt out. And if they opt out, the case is dismissed, and now you've got to go back. Now you have to go to federal court, full-blown copyright infringement, major fees and costs that come associated with infringement. So I'm not sure that the opt-out is going to be very helpful. Um, but um, we'll, we'll see if the small claim courts become overrun with small claims and uh, mm-hmm. provide access to those that really can't afford the, the heavy-digit uh, six-figure litigation in, that goes on in uh, copyright infringement actions in federal court. Mm-hmm. So a very interesting development. What do you think about that?
2: Well, I think actually, I think it might be a, uh, have a positive effect. Yes, even though it's going to be extremely busy. But I yes. think there's many infringements that the the you know the whole pot is really not six figure pot yet, and people bring yes, it up. I mean I'm not talking about Elton John. I'm talking about uh, John Elton. <laughs>
3: John Elton, yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, in other words, it may. So if you have a, if you if you have literally a ten, fifteen thousand dollar claim, but there's an actual infringement, um, and it's an open and shut case, you're not going to spend six figures to bring that case in federal court. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you're actually locked out. You have a right without a remedy, as we say. Yeah. Uh, Essentially, effectively. So the small claims court is going to change that. Now you'll have a remedy. As a matter of fact, the small claims court will not even require you to have an attorney. Uh-huh. It may not even require a hearing. They could do it on the papers if, if, if it's an open and shut, slam dunk case. So you can go in and say, here's my case. Uh, we want I want the three-judge panel to decide it for me. And and um, if, if it's appropriate, provide an award and a remedy. Mm. So as you said, that that's quite a, a, a new opportunity, an important opportunity for small claims, which aren't Elton John claims
2: yeah. on that now, scale. Would the panel be people like Michael Harrington would be music uh, <laughs> experts that, to be on the panel?
3: That's a very good point, And that's that's being sorted out as we speak. I'm, I would imagine they'd have fairly uh, significant credentials and experience in this area because they're going to have to look at these cases and dispose of them efficiently and accurately um, and I'll tell you why this is, the credentials are going to be important and the, the parties that make the, the decision makers are going to be important because one other uh, feature of the small claims court for copyright infringement will be there's no appeal. Ah, there will be a final determination made and you can't appeal to federal court in the normal course. mean, um, Unless you have to show something like fraud or something really outlandish, but under normal circumstances, there will be no appeal. So, this is going to be very interesting. But yeah, yeah the the parties that decide will have to make very careful, uh, deliberate decisions and well well informed. And um, they're gonna they're gonna stand. And the other thing is, I guess that's going to create precedent quickly because when a case is decided a certain way, and there are fifty other cases um, uh, looking postured in the same way or positioned the same way. Those cases are either going to settle or be quickly resp- um, disposed of based on that precedent that's already been established.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so we'll see. They will also allow for settlement. Those, that, that panel can allow for settlement, and there'll be two attorneys appointed to to help uh, dispose of cases by way of settlement. So some, which look like they can be readily settled, will be put on a settlement track, right. and others will be decided, and the decisions will be. Uh, final decisions without uh, opportunity to appeal.
2: So now with that we're on infringement, I'm going to show you something and I'll tell our audience what it is. I have okay. a bumper sticker that is around here. Here's a bumper sticker. Is this infringement or not? I'm showing a bumper sticker that says straight out of Pompton for Pompton Lakes and Pompton Plains. And it's an exact <laughs> replica of straight out of Compton. So, is it parody? Is it infringement? I won't tell you what Michael Harrington said until we get your your idea on it. But people well, first might have all, it with the bumper sticker I saw—I was at a light behind a car the other day.
3: First of all, there's a clash of laws. Like, what law applies? Is that Keep in mind, copyright law does not in the United States does not provide protection for titles. Right. So, if I have a song entitled "Yesterday," the Beatles can't come after me for a sure. copyright infringement with "Yesterday." So, if I have a song titled "Straight Out of Compton," uh, from a copyright standpoint, there's no infringement.
2: Right now, but this, is, however, now I'm on the trademark
3: side, if I have a have a t-shirt that says straight out of compton and people do this they they have, they have a song title they turn it they they, they turn it into merchandise sure. so that they can get trademark protection for that mark so if i've got straight out of compton protected under the trademark law that's a different story the question is is there going to be a likelihood of confusion amongst members of the public as to the source or origin of the product or service so what is the product it's not that vehicle if the product is a bumper sticker uh, itself, is will the public be misled or deceived to think that that bumper sticker originates from the owners of the mark straight out of Compton? That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I think that, and, and there's some. And the thing is, there's, this is a slippery slope because there are a lot of straight out of. Uh, believe it or not, I live in Livingston, New Jersey, and I've seen straight out of Livingston, All right, <laughs> which is just amazing. Uh, But in that same format. But uh, there's so much of it uh, that the question is, has this become more or less a a generic sort of uh, mark, which which no longer identifies any source or origin? In other words, if you see a a Rolls Royce uh, or you see um, a Chevy, whatever, and you see the, the, the mark, you know, or you see Nike, you know the source of origin and what it that that they own that product. They have proprietary rights. Not sure if the consumer sees straight out of Pompton or straight out of Livingston or straight out of Newark or straight out of Hallandale whether whether there's any connection any longer, any effective connection. The public and this is what courts have said: public may see uh, that there's an association. Uh, or use of uh, an element of it, but they may say that that's not enough to prove that the the public will be deceived and buy your product, which here is just a bumper sticker, buy your product based on or thinking that they're they're buying something that originates from a particular source of origin straight out of Compton, the owners of that, Mark. So this is a tough one. I think that if I had to decide it, I'd say no infringement.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. What about
3: parody? It's not a parody. Parody. Well, keep in mind now now, now we're really getting in the hot water. If it's a parody, it's protected <laughs> by the first amendment. <laughs> so right. Now you got the first amendment. You can make you could poke fun of something, and that very well could be a parody protected by the First Amendment. It says you, you have the right to take a name and poke fun at it. It's like uh, Weird Al beat it. Michael Jackson beat it and he says eat sure. it. Uh, that's actually a parody, right? Protected by the First Amendment, so now there you have free uh, reign to um, use and exploit that mark in a, in a comedic sense, mm-hmm. or you know, as a parody, and that that provides another layer of protection, right? Um, for for this sort of activity. So right. tell me, I'd be interested to hear what uh, Doctor Harrington said.
2: He said it's not not infringement, and it's not a parody. But he so he got it to me yet?
3: Yeah. So I gave you some re, i gave you done. some legal reasoning from the copyright and trademark side. But uh, so that yeah, you have two, two, two to two to none. You know, two votes against infringement. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah. need one more, one more judge in that panel, and then uh whoever is bringing that case is out of luck. <laughs> right
2: now, if the parody um, was proven to be. Um, detrimental to the income of that sticker or whatever we're talking about, then there would be trouble?
3: Um, it would make it a more co- uh, complicated case if you were actually um, affecting, having a significant effect on the the ability to earn uh, income and realize the, the fruits of your labor, essentially, economic or fruits, but that would not be dispositive. It, it still would be the, the the notion that once you reach the, the the notion that it's a parody, whether it has a negative economic impact or not, it shouldn't it shouldn't affect the, it shouldn't cause a reversal of that that finding or a change in the, the outcome. Mm-hmm. And so this is the case with um, you might remember a group called Two Live Crew. Yeah. They took a song uh, out of the Roy Orbison catalog called uh, "Pretty Woman."
2: Yeah, we remember that case.
3: Yeah, and they they uh, really de- took some demeaning and, and mm-hmm. negative uh, uh, spins on that, and um, everything from scary to hairy woman, and um, in a rap format. And that case was challenged. I mean, that use was challenged uh, all the way up to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And the pre- Supreme Court open opened their decision, and it was a 5-4 decision. So you see how how um, borderline these cases can be. 5-4, the Supremes, as we call them, Supreme Court decided this. They started out by simply saying, we find this funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you know, from there, you know what they're going to decide. <laughs> right, <laughs> they're fine. You know, this is this is uh, fair play. Right. You know, you may not like it. You may be ill humored as the copyright owner may have a, a negative effect upon your income and so forth. But if it's humorous and it's done in that in that light and presented to the public as such, can't touch it.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's take this one further now. I go to a tattoo parlor. <laughs> and I tell the guy I want I said to the guy, you know that thing that says straight out of Pompton? That's what I want on my arm. But I, I want you to draw it just like that. Is the pot is the Paula committing an infringement?
3: That's interesting. I mean a parlor owner or shop owner might want to say, uh, you're gonna have to prove that you've got ownership rights or uh-huh. a license before I before I do this. And then the worst yet, if it's done in the context of, uh, put on a person, a private, a person's uh, body, and then that person takes a picture of it, puts it on Instagram or Twitter or, uh, mm-hmm. social media and gets a lot of mileage out of it, that's changed. That's, that changes the nature of it. Uh, so the, in a private context, you might say that, that, that might be, um, non-infringing, but to turn around and turn it into a business, um, or or to uh, to publicize it in a way that you're actually now capitalizing off of uh, whatever that mark or that that uh, image is, you may have a you may have a problem. And we're actually, that case the, a case like that is coming up. We're going to see how that's going to be resolved. Previously, we didn't have people putting tattoos on their body of uh, uh, copyrighted or trademarked works, but now you see that. I saw an athlete with the Warner Brothers symbol on <laughs> on his mm-hmm. body, uh, um, NBA athlete, and I thought to myself, my goodness, you might have to get approval for that. You know, you're being, you're, you're, the mark is clearly visible. Uh, you're on television regularly. Do you have authority on the rights to, to use that, you know? Is there a license? So we may see some, we may see some landmark decisions made about that, where that line should be drawn. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, very, very interesting, and very right. troubling at some level. You know, what are your thoughts about that, Steve?
2: I I think it's uh, very interesting too. I'm really <laughs> confused about it. And yeah. Amongst, uh, I mean, if the if the straight out of Compton owner had tattooed made he had you know so you go to a parlor and you get to pick what you want right one of the ones then i'm sure i would assume everything is covered and i would just be able then to put it on uh, somebody's arm and collect the money and i guess the tax for it uh but just having the guy make one up make the rolling stone tongue up and put it up i'm sure it's on a thousand arms minimum Sure. in in New York State alone Uh, and even take it bigger than that Kiss where Gene is very much aware of all this stuff and that he's probably licensed I would assume that tattoo out Uh, although I passed a bar I won't forget it going in Mexico City to the airport and there was a Kiss (laughs) bar with the logo the exact same logo, not just called Kiss Bar, let's forget that, but the logo of Kiss. And I couldn't get a picture because the car was going too fast. I was going to send it to Aaron on that, see what Gene would think about that. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. I'm confused. What about you, Dave, on this tattoo thing?
0: It's it's interesting because one case that I recently saw was... A kid put a tattoo or like a mom or something did a tattoo. Oh, yeah. A mom got a tattoo on her arm of a drawing that she thought her son had made for her. And it turned out to be that the drawing was done by the son of somebody else. And her son had just taken credit, but he didn't do it. So now she had a tattoo on her arm of somebody else's (laughs) And I think that mom was getting sued by one of the parents for copyright infringement. You know, so uh, it's interesting all of these different legalizations of of tattoos. So I, I just don't get any tattoos.
3: You know, so there's there's um, I talked about a right without a remedy, and there are there there's a uh, there's a sense in in particularly in the entertainment field that all infringements are, aren't aren't um, aren't worth pursuing. And as a matter of fact, some are are basically harmless because they're just promoting the mark uh, or further publicizing and keeping a person's name or likeness in the limelight. But so in some instances, it may be harmless and the party who feels infringed upon would never go after those. In other cases, it, it's, um, it's blatant, it's, it's widespread and it, it has economic impact and you do have to think about whether these need to all be under a license, or I need to go after uh, several to establish a, a a landmark case where which has a chilling effect on everyone else. So if someone loses a case like that, they've got to take this thing off of their body. Is that going to uh, have the chilling effect of making all those that have that on their their body go and have it changed or removed? Yeah, that that's that would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, if they if one person were found to have infringed, and now another several million now realize they're in the same line of fire, and they need to change it immediately. So we'll sit. We have to see how that shakes out.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Very interesting.
2: Yeah. Getting back to uh, record companies now and record contracts. I know I I got sidetracked, but I got interested in that the other day. Um, okay. Are we seeing more indie labels doing sort of, uh, I wouldn't say fifty-fifty, but let's say sharing deals with uh, with their artists now? Yeah, than this profit 10 percent whatever.
3: This profit-sharing notion is becoming fairly common and popular. Mm-hmm. Um, it has its ups and its downs. Keep in mind, if a company says we're going to profit share with you, we're going to You're going we're going to Handle this as co-partners or as a joint venture partners, um, and they may say in your share. And I've seen this a lot. In your share, whether it's fifty percent or thirty like percent, somewhere between thirty and fifty percent, your share is going to include. It's going to include the uh, all the licenses required. So you're going to have to, if there are licenses for the writers of the songs. The mechanical licenses are considered are included in that the payments are going to be on your, your responsibility out of your share. You know, so the question is, are you going to, if, if we're going to do this as a partner, partnership of sorts, uh, joint venture of sorts, are you going to take the, all the costs off the top? Or are you going to take some of the costs and then say all those other costs, like licensing costs for songs is going to come out of your share. That's a big issue uh, because, um, Now the responsibility falls squarely on the creative participant to take, it's not just like a record royalty. And then you get separately mechanical royalties to you and to the producer. If the producer wrote or co-wrote or other co-writers, you're going to have to pay all the writers from your share. So your 50% share or 30% share might be significantly less when you consider all the costs that you're going to have to absorb uh, internally. Yeah. So that 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 that's, that's an scenario that I'm concerned about. And also, when you share and you say fifty um, percent of the net, you really have to look carefully at what's being netted out, mm-hmm. because are the company salaries being netted out, or their, their employees, or the, the third parties that they engage? Because if a hundred thousand dollars was earned, and they they say, well, wait, forty thousand of that is uh, in house or Related staff cost, overhead costs, and now we're left with instead of a hundred thousand, we're whacking up fifty-fifty. We're we're dividing uh, less than uh, or close to half of the sixty thousand. Mm-hmm. So now, if you're getting half of that, you're getting thirty thousand. So if you look at the gross, you're getting thirty thousand of what was a hundred at source. And much, and now you're paying. And you take out the cost that you're gonna have to pay for writers and owners of copyrights. If you didn't write everything, uh, and if you're also responsible for producer fees, uh, your share might you might end up right with a, a, the old fashioned royalty of maybe mm-hmm. 10, 15% of the total. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all that glitters does is not gold. And uh, the, the notion that, uh, oh, we're going to partner up with you, we'll do a 50 50 deal or, um, yeah, those deals are out there, but look very carefully. If the, the First of all, they're basing them on net receipts. You've got to look at how net is going to be defined, if it's defined at all. And then you've got to look at what your internal responsibilities are, as I said, mechanical royalties and so forth, to the corporate owners and maybe producer fees and so forth. Your share may be diminished tremendously. So you really have to be aware of those uh, what appear to be partner or joint venture type deals when you're splitting Uh, the entire net proceeds.
0: You rarely see a
3: deal that says we're splitting gross proceeds.
0: Right. But but then you also need to look and see, so what is the point of doing this joint venture, of doing this 50-50 deal? You know, what is, if I'm the artist or I'm representing the artist, what is this quote-unquote label going to do? How much money are they going to invest in marketing? Is there any advance? Um, There are a lot of tiny... Indie labels out there who were just sort of calling themselves a label and signing indie artists to it. And and basically, this label is uploading the music to DistroKid and taking a fee for it, but they don't have any money. So they're not really doing anything. And you wonder, why would any artist do it just to say that they're on a label? Uh, It it doesn't, you know, a lot of artists, I think, still have this holy grail in their head of, I got to get signed to a label. When um, they're, they're, the benefits really aren't necessarily there, if there's no advance, and if this label has no money to invest in marketing, uh, or, or in production, or in music video, or in anything, what is the what is the point? There's there's really no point. They're starting, they're just eating into what little revenue you're going to get from from streaming, which if there's no marketing around it, isn't going to be very much anyway.
3: That's true. Uh, I think part of the problem is to a do-it-yourself artist uh, becomes overwhelmed eventually when they realize that they're literally taking on four or five full-time jobs, you know, in addition to being an artist. And so they're actually looking for help, looking for assistance. So anything that moves, walks, or quacks like a duck or a record label is saying, great. Let's let's partner up. That sounds good to me. I'll give you a share. I'll take a share. Take care of everything. But what well, your point is well taken. Don't just uh, take heart in the fact that oh I've got support now. I've got partners. I've got uh, assistants. Are they really going to do what a record label needs to do? You know, record labels traditionally have been multifunction uh, operations. You know, publicity, marketing. Uh, accounting the whole, the, you know, the whole array of uh, services that come with uh, marketing a record and accounting for its, uh, its earnings. And um, as you said, you've got so many small distributors, small record label, glorified pr- production companies call themselves record labels. And are they really well equipped? And if you did a, a, a job interview and you or you, you check the resume or you, you check the track record, you might find that, my God, this is not the this is not the company to partner with. Their track record is horrible. They basically sign a, a number of artists and uh, do very little in terms of marketing, promotion, publicity, and getting these artists going. Uh, I can recall in the in the 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 the, the latter days of uh, the the record the, the glory years of the record companies, the major record companies. I can recall a, a senior vice president telling me, look. We don't have a good handle on some of this cutting edge music and how to market it and promote it properly. So what we're going to do is sign this group that you're representing, but we're actually going to put extra money in the deal. We're going to put extra quarter million dollars in the deal and tell you to jumpstart your own record, and then we'll be able to work more effectively with it. In other words, you go find the independent promotion persons and uh, those that are uh, capable of effectively marketing the, the genre of music that you have. And once, it's, once it starts to take off, we can take it from there because it will, it will come into the mainstream. Uh, but that's a company that basically acknowledged right from the front, we really don't have marketing, a good handle on marketing and promotion. We're actually going to give you some money to do that um, and take up the slack. And they would say, we want you to jumpstart the record, actually. Mm-hmm. And we know we're signing you, but we want you to jumpstart the record. So now a small independent uh, indie or independent label would not say that to you. Here's here's some extra money to jumpstart your record because we really don't know what we're doing ourselves. <laughs> but uh, Dave, your point's well taken. This is what we have. We have uh, an array of companies that look like they can be helpful and that they're well suited to help take the artists to the proverbial next level. But if you take a closer look, marketing promotion and look at the staff look at the budget and look at the track record you'll probably come away feeling that this may not be the best place to be Mm -hmm. Uh, this may not be the best deal to do because it's not well suited although it looks like uh, relief and uh, a positive step it may not actually be and that's a reality that many artists find i've seen artists so excited to sign these deals with these small labels and uh, at The end of the day, uh, you know, six months or a year later, they're saying ah, it's not quite working out the way we thought it would. It's mm-hmm. Not quite. We're not quite getting the mileage or the traction that we had thought. We don't want to be negative, but at the same time, it's hard to it's hard to feel really good about where we're at here, you know. And then now they're stuck in the deal, you know, for yeah. a matter of years or whatever.
2: Now this is I a mean, real problem. You most know? artists have no money at the start. And you go back to getting refundable. I mean, you're getting uh, funds, recording funds, marketing funds, and so on that are recoupable. But yet you're coming in with nothing and you never have to pay it back should should you never make any money. Yes. And that sometimes looks like a pretty good deal. (laughs) You shouldn't be negative ever about your own creativity. But, I mean, it happened with me, you know. I can't remember the figures, but we, uh, I think we just about broke even and started to make a little money, but I never really got a royalty check from Epic Records. So consequently, they spent money that, you know, I didn't have to worry about paying them back. And with this type of a deal, as you're saying, with the Indies, you're in it from the beginning, you know, you got to get your feet wet and it may reap a great harvest. Um, if maybe with you none such or one of those labels that have yes. been so proven but uh it's still art versus commerce really
3: <laughs> yes and the uh, the commerce is really weighing more heavily on uh the business these days I, I, for, not to, not to veer too far for this but on the publishing side for example we see investment bankers virtually taking over publishing yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're turning, they're turning publishing into stock. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, they're making business deals that have nothing really to do with the welfare of the creative uh, community at all. Uh, mm-hmm. These are hardcore business deals, investment banker deals, and they look at no differently. Than they look at any other stock uh, or or equity or securities that they uh, that they deal in. And so this is a reality we're starting to see. Um, I think what, what we're saying is that, in, in essence, you've got to look really carefully if you're in the creative community at uh, where you're trying to go, where you want to go, and what's the best vehicle or means to get there. You're going to have to research very carefully and hopefully have a good team around you to, to help guide and advise you because uh, you can make decisions that, are catastrophic or uh, that lead to setbacks, and now you you can lose two three years. And I always tell people in this business, you don't not only you not only get a chance to make a, a second chance to make a first impression. You might do well in the beginning, or have your, your a lot of times your creative works are uh, most prominent early on, and then you find yourself chasing and cannibalizing your own success, and it doesn't always work you know one one asset that a new artist has is just that being new Mm. and uh we always are looking for something new and exciting in this business but after after you've been around for a while you're no longer new there's no there's nothing special about what you're doing um we've seen it and heard it before and now you've got to reinvent yourself or uh really get with a team that can translate that into a greater success and um Bring you to the next level. But the, as you said, the commerce versus art is a very big issue. Uh, you've got to look carefully. This is not really, this is not a field for amateurs, although it's loaded with amateurs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you need some expertise. You need some insight, some business insight, creative insight. And even on the creative side, we see the lack of understanding of what goes into. A lot of people don't understand what a copyright is. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll get an artist that will say um, I asked do you, own, do you own the music, do you own the, the song they said oh sure and I said well who created the, the, the music they said oh the beat sometimes the music is called the beat right. <laughs> I said well the producer did the beat but I own the song I said wait a right. minute the song <laughs> the beat is part of the song you know the music right. and the lyrics together create the cop establish the copyright and they, they usually they're equal, you know, so if, uh, if I wrote the music, you wrote the lyrics, typically it's a 50-50 split, but you've got many artists out there who think, oh no, that's just the beat, I wrote the song. Yeah. I said, no, that's a misnomer, you know, the writing the lyrics that? and, yes, go right ahead.
0: Be- because actually one of my questions to you was about beats, because I know somebody, he sent me a contract just the other day um, about a beat, that he purchased online um, it 's non exclusive, and there 's a whole market where basically um, writers are creating what we 're calling it the beat you know, which is you know, this underlying bed of music Yes. and in this particular case, the beat maker owns one hundred percent of the publishing and owns fifty percent of the writer 's side of wow. the publishing okay full publisher side and fifty percent of the writer 's side. And then if you dig deep into the contract, the beatmaker is also saying that he owns the master. So even though he's leading in the deal, I'm giving I'm granting you the right to do whatever you want with this. Um I still own the master. And all you're getting out of this basically is 50% of the writer's side. And you can't do and it's a strange contract because it said you can do sync, but then it said you can't do sync deals. Um it said You can create a new song. I own the new song. And it also then says, but if you create a new song, you basically can't do anything with it because I've submitted my beat to all the content ID uh, places around for all the DSPs and YouTube. So if you submit it anywhere, it's going to get flagged and taken down. So this whole idea of I'm buying a license to use this beat, I can't do anything with it. I can't do anything with sync, apparently. I, I don't even own the master um you know it, it, i can't do anything with it so this one particular artist i said well there's the compulsory license so why don't you do a re-record of the beat so at least you'll own the master in that case it doesn't solve anything on the publishing side but at least right. you own the master and you don't have to, and you can upload it you don't have to worry about any issues with the uh with content id but these are little things the contract was right there um when the per- person purchased the non-exclusive right to the beat. Meanwhile, hundreds, thousands of people, if they want, at any point can spend $85 and buy the rights to this beat anywhere around the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's they- like a whole market that's out there.
3: Yeah, that beat market and those contracts are very dangerous. they crazy quote cool contracts that are just being thrown around and being used. And uh, you, you, at the end of the day, you don't know what you have, Uh Chances are you have very little, as you said. Uh, You may not own the rights to the master. uh, You might not own the the rights to your own derivative work, or you might own a a small share of it, and you're restricted in what you can do with it. Other people can use it. I've had to revamp so many of these so-called beat contracts. Some of them are really horrible. and and In some cases, um, I've been called in after an artist has had significant success, only to find out The beat that they use they don't own and someone else actually has better rights than they have uh, to that same beat and they sue them and it becomes a real mess and now if you're talking about hundreds of thousand dollars at stake uh, an artist that used a beat and then finds out they really don't have the rights to it and actually a third party has better rights than than they have they can they can really suffer Financially and that record could be uh, hit, but they don't they don't realize the, um, the, the the royalties or the income or they may get the, the one thing they might get out of it is uh, the ability to do shows pre pre and post pandemic, hopefully. Uh, but um, other than that, on the record itself, they may be very hamstrung and tied up in not see the fruit of, of the, the their labor and their work. Uh, be very careful with beat agreements. I, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Most of them are not signable and are not, are not well designed and are very dangerous documents uh, that are just floating all over the industry now, yeah. you know, at the lower level there. And they really require attention and revision and revamping and um You've got to look very carefully at those before you even think about going with a, a beat agreement and using that as the, the foundation for uh, moving forward with a project. Uh, one thing that you point out, Dave, that I would agree with is, uh, and this has become like a learning curve for those that have been using samples to avoid problems with the master recording, hire musicians to replay it, to replay the master. Yeah. Much better way to go. And a lot of a lot of um, artists have learned over the years. This is the way to go. Replay that master. Um, as a matter of fact, the generation that's going to hear it probably won't even remember some of the things that were in the original. So it's not it's not even as if you're missing something from the original master. You can hire capable musicians uh, to replay it. Mm-hmm. And then you own that recording and you can copyright it, and there's no question but that you own that. Uh, if you have original lyrics, you're gonna own those too. So your foundation is much uh, m- much more solid and um, much more protectable and gives you a much more assurance that you can move forward and hope to do business uh, in, in an appropriate way and re- realize the fruit of your labor. Yes.
0: Right. Well, I think um, we had a very fruitful, discussion
2: right now i got a couple more
0: things um go quick because we're hitting against our wall
2: okay well one thing I was going to say that uh so many artists are doing things outside of the uh, music industry you know in fashion etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, one of the brilliant things I thought uh it was anyway that I saw this week was that McDonald's is coming out with a BTS. talk about technology?
0: Wait. It was a BTS one.
2: So, uh, so um, what I was saying—I don't know if you heard me call—that I was saying that so many artists are doing things outside of the music business uh, as uh, revenue-producing. One of the interesting things I saw this week was uh, McDonald's is putting together a BTS menu. <laughs> He's
3: Go right ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: putting together a BTS menu. Right, which I thought was pretty brilliant. I haven't heard of anybody doing that yet. I mean, they've heard of, you know, Justin Timberlake being a sponsorship sponsor, being the spokesman. From McDonald's as he did, but I've never heard of. Now they're putting together. It's going to be a Korean menu at McDonald's.
3: Yes, <laughs> that's interesting. To- yeah, there's a there, there. There are a lot of opportunities for tie-ins and and um, cross marketing and so forth, which um, which is another source of revenue in another area that might be quite viable and is quite right. can, may be quite viable and um, it's good to see too because it it, it uh, further enlarges the opportunities uh, for artists.
2: Yeah. Why didn't, uh, you know, why didn't, um, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to say. Cracker Barrel, have a Dolly Parton menu. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, seems to be the first to just license that menu into an already established uh, restaurant.
3: You Uh, see, so there's room for creative thinking still. Unbelievable. uh, And creative partnering cross-marketing, yeah. and so forth.
2: That's with these guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right, David. Anything else?
0: No, I think we need to wrap it up before the all right, great. Uh, trademark police tell us we've spoken too much. So, <laughs> doctor, doctor who's not a doctor, Carl Guthrie, thank you so much for spending all this quality time with us this hour.
3: It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you all. Everybody who's listening, thank you so much for listening. And Call, do you know what we say at the end of every show? It's not hello. Do you know what we say? You should know.
3: Well, uh, refresh my memory, please.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna do it because at the end of every show, we say, stay. Adios. Stay.
1: I'm tired of fighting with myself. I'm tired of living in this living hell. I'm tired of convincing myself I'm not tired. I'm so cold. Someone had to fade these bones Too weak to stand on my own You need to get up, shut up, lose what you can't control So here's to you You a broken lamp on the bedroom floor When you had too much to think Here's to you All the afternoons with the curtain. so lost. Someone rearrange these thoughts. If these walls could talk, they'd say, "Get up, get out. Keep your fingers crossed." So here.